if you look at the devices that people are using to consume uh, podcasting in various countries it was so bizarre for me or actually not bizarre but it was confirming that for example in Nigeria they use a lot of i think the laptop and not mobile phones while in Kenya and South Africa they are using mobile phones to consume that and for me that could maybe tie in from an infrastructure point of view where it's power or data is expensive and that's why people resort to like using the laptop where there is free internet to listen to podcasts Welcome to the podcast sessions where we chat to podcast hosts, podcast producers and those within the podcast industry. Coming up on today's show, co-founder of Africa Podfest, Melissa Mbugua, executive director of Baraza Media Lab, Maurice Otieno, and head of research for Baraza Media Lab, Vanessa Kathetcha. So very, very warm welcome to you guys. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Podcast Sessions podcast. And I'm going to start by saying a massive congratulations to you guys. You have just released one of the most impactful and influential data reports on the continent because there really isn't anything like this at the moment. So I just want to say congratulations. And how are you guys feeling? Like, I know this must have been a lot of work a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of late nights and early mornings. But how are you all feeling? I'll start with you, Melissa. Uh, feeling really good because it's been a long time coming. I think we started this conversation with Baraza Lab in 20, back in 2020. So to see it actually happen feels great. Like a, a, It's a milestone that we've achieved. And of course, it's just the beginning. Uh, but we're very excited that this critical, like, peace now exists in the world and our conversations can evolve from there. Fantastic. And Vanessa, how are you feeling? What is going through your mind or what went through your mind when you finally saw that it was released? I think for me, it's mostly excitement just to see what the conversations that come out of this whole report look like. So yeah, it's just mostly the conversation, the investment conversations, how to support the people in the ecosystem. That's what is exciting for me at this point. Yeah, I think similar to Melissa, my excitement is that it's finally out. And uh, finally, because because of no one's fault within the group, but it's because of life. Uh, COVID happens and we are thrown off our schedule. But I'm also happy because we are contributing to the wealth of knowledge of podcasting on the continent. I mean, if you don't understand where you've come from, it's difficult for you to understand where you're going to. And right now, we don't understand where we come from from a podcasting landscape, but we are the first ones to at least put it on the map where what we have right now, and we hope that it will be useful for the future generations to be able to benchmark on where we've come from and uh, from a podcasting landscape and where we should be at. Yeah. I absolutely, absolutely couldn't agree more with what you just mentioned now, you know, this is for the future generations. This is for, you know, other people to take up the mantle to find this side of the podcast industry really interesting, as it certainly, certainly is. Now, before we dive into the numbers and the data and the insights around the Discovery to Data Edition 2022, I want to find out just a little bit more about the companies that you guys have come from and that you guys are representing. Uh, Morris, I'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about Baraza Media Lab and the work that you guys do. So coincidentally, Baraza Media Lab is a, a baby of research. There was a research that was conducted in Kenya 
just understand where the media, why the media industry is not operating how it should be, and what are the gaps, and also potential solutions. This research was conducted by Omedia Networks, and one of the solutions that they found is that mainstream media or media in general is lacking on a couple of things. It's lacking on interesting storytelling models, so lacking on interesting business models for its sustainability. And this influences or affects how media and how information is shared to the public for them to be able to either hold power to account or to be able to make informed decisions. And there's a myriad of factors. One was the independence of media, which uh, right now in Kenya, most almost all of six big media houses are owned by politicians or families of politicians. There's very if there's very little representation of women in media leadership, there's also very limited uh, revenues that are generated out of advertising in media. And all these factors influence how media operates, how media is viewed, and even the trust within media. So Baraza was basically launched after that research by Omedia Networks, who later on rebranded or uh, split off to be Luminate. And Luminate launched Baraza as a space for basically testing new interesting, new and interesting storytelling media, sto- uh, media formats, like podcasting, as well as also testing out new business models within media. So we do run programs, events, research, as well as sometimes incubation, where we incubate new media ideas within the space. Uh, we've been in existence since 2019, December. So we are a very, we are very much a COVID uh, organization. And since then, we've onboarded of 150 plus members and growing in terms of locations within at least the country. Wow. Talk about being way ahead of the curve <laughs> with, with the research and just how, you know, one can adapt and adjust. And it's quite interesting because I believe Edison started similarly. You know, you start with one aspect of research and insights, and then as digital media grows and expands, you start finding these other avenues. Who knew that in a a few years ago that podcasting would be something that people would want to gain some insights into? And I love what you said about, you know, (laughs) the pandemic and, and just looking at how you guys, I mean, even for us, looking at how you've managed to pivot during the pandemic as a media company and, and using it not as an excuse to almost back down, but a, a, but as a reason to step forward and say there is more we can do. And so very, very, very excited to be speaking to you as well. And so Melissa from Africa Podfest, pioneering platform, pioneering Africa Podcast Day. <laughs> And part of this research as well. Tell us a little bit about the work you guys do and where you fit into the podcast ecosystem. Mm. So Africa Podfest is the hub of African podcasting, in short. And and what we do, or first, before actually going to what we do, the reason we exist is because um, we'd love to harness this opportunity that podcasting provides, you know, because what's happened is that podcasts bring literally the mic into the hands of communities who've never before had the opportunity to speak for themselves in this kind of powerful way. So our mission is to center the voices of marginalized community in the media universe, to lay the foundations for sustainable and inclusive podcasting industry in Africa. So we do this yeah, we take a long view to this. And what we do is we bring community together. We're gathering the African community on the continent first. 
And then the diaspora, Africans in the diaspora, and then also bringing the global podcasting community in support of African podcasters. And the reason community comes first for us is because in this kind of space where there's just so much change happening and therefore opportunities to shape something that's different, shape a, a model that's different. We, and we align in this way very much with Baraza Media Lab in terms of looking, taking a future look and looking at how can we model the media business such that it works for us, for us who've been in the margins. Um, so we bring community first because community and people are the foundation. And people and our relationships and our conversations form the foundation for what the industry will grow on. So we bring community first um, through Africa Podcast Day and other year-long events. We also carry out research as a very important part of Again, this foundation laying work because it's all great to talk and, and, and talk and talk and talk. But, you know, how credible is what we are saying and how, how do we document our observations so that we can literally be on the same page and build together from the same page? But also what do those who are coming ahead of us, you know, what will they look back to, to kind of learn from? And that's what, you know, our research outputs are for. We also spotlight African podcasters and African podcasting in general on the global stage. And, you know, just this is through like our social media and our podcast um, and different other channels that we have for communication. Absolutely brilliant and, and genius. And I, and I love seeing, you know, both of the work that you guys are doing. There is so much opportunity for podcasting and podcasters on the continent that I think we haven't even touched the surface of, of, of what is possible. But you guys are definitely, you've set that, that benchmark to say this is what is possible. And even coming around collaboration, which I want to touch on next is how did this collaboration come about? How did this partnership come about? Who called who? Who slid into whose DMs? From a company perspective, obviously. <laughs> how did this uh, incredible partnership come about? What was the story? Well, the original story is, um, and Maurice had mentioned earlier, is Baraza started in 2019. Africa Podfest also started in at, towards the end of 2019. And so we as individuals, you know, on the team of Africa Podfest were our members of Baraza Media Lab, like from the very beginning. So we've kind of been supported by the infrastructure and the community at Baraza Lab to begin with, you know, just, <laughs> just to lay that foundation of the story. So Baraza Media Lab has been a strategic partner of Africa Podfest from the very beginning. Yeah, Maurice, maybe I'll let you continue the story about this project. That's a, that's a version of our relationship. Let me give my version. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I think, of course, we started almost around the same time. But I think what really grounded us was a discussion between Melissa or Africa Podfest team with one of my colleagues, Christine Mungai. And they were really talking about the festival itself. Because around that time when we were being launched is when you, as Africa Podfest, were thinking of hosting an in-person festival uh, at Baraza Media Lab. And that's when I came in, but unfortunately it didn't go through because of COVID again. It was a smack in the middle of COVID. I think it was like a day or, or two after they announced a week when they announced the shutdown in Nairobi. So that meant that would not go on. So we started brainstorming of what are the other possibilities with the new uh, reality that we have, which is COVID. 
And one of the things that we thought of was research. For us, it was a, a no-brainer to work with Africa Podfest because, as you say, for me, I usually term Africa Podfest as the community of podcasting in Africa, you know, the, the first one, the only one that is doing it from a very continental point of view. So for us as an organization who are also a child of research, we hold research dear to us and it also informs how we invest either the time, the resources, the personnel. So it was a match made in heaven. And yes, Melissa is the one who's leading to my DM. Let <laughs> <laughs> the records reflect that. Are we letting that go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, as part of our conversations about what could we do and like you mentioned, Rutendo, you know, we are doing this, you know, while being very fully aware that it's ahead of the curve, but we want the, you know, as the curve grows, we want them to find something very solid, you know. So we started saying, thinking about how we could build out documentation um, around evolution of podcasting. And so eventually that led to us conceptualizing this project and scoping it out so that it would, you know, because also being the first, we spent a lot of time thinking about what, where do we start? Like, how do we frame it? Because how we frame it then really does shape how the conversation continues and how the industry continues to evolve. And so we've been fortunate, really fortunate to have the benefit of pretty solid team with very rigorous research minds um, and asking all the hard questions. And that's been a big part of the process. Yeah, <laughs> Vanessa, Vanessa being the Baraza Media Research Lead has brought in like a very, that very strong element of thinking about it from the policymaking side, from just the rigor of the actual method and the process. Um, and what does this mean long term? You know, how will this look if people look at it one year from now, five years from now? How solid is this as a piece of research? Mm, certainly. And, and I want to come to that. And Vanessa, uh, I guess you are probably the perfect person to answer this question around the processes of it. This research is very academically presented. It's not a fluffy piece of information that we've received that is like, oh, this is nice to have. It really, really got down into the detail and into the numbers and then explained what those numbers mean, which is something that we see from an academic perspective all the time. But in a media landscape, and yes, there is media academic stuff, one wouldn't have ordinarily thought to approach it in this way. So talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the approach, why it was important to also make it very academically sound, including stats, explaining them, and why was this process important? I think to start with is one of us's core mandate is to support people in the media ecosystem. And if we have to support anyone or if we have to provide any solutions, it means we, we need to know what it is that we're trying to fix. And for this reason, we, we definitely need data. If we're talking to um, investors, whether we're talking to partners in the ecosystem as well, the data is necessary. And this is because the only way to mobilize resources that can provide these solutions is just basically giving people the numbers. And this way, we're able to proceed. And just like Melissa has said, like as the curve grows, we're able to find out how we can merge together our research together with the resources and how to just optimize all of this together. So despite the fact that it might not look as artsy as possible, despite being a really artsy topic, is because this is also important for people who do not understand podcasting. If you do not understand podcasting, this is a report that you can look at and have a, at least a bit of an idea. I think we did try to make it as rigorous, but also um, Africa Podcast made it really colorful. So it's not as intimidating as you would have expected it to be. I think 
As Vanessa was just speaking, uh, I also was thinking of what Melissa said in terms of this is the first, and even to add on to what you were saying, Rutendo, in terms of like, this is the first very heavy data, well-written research uh, with an academic angle. And for me, I was thinking of like, the fact that we are the first does not give us the excuse to be mediocre. We have to do it in a way that even the future will appreciate that this was really thoroughly done. But also having that presentation element that speaks to the audience. So if you look at it, it's it's more colorful and beautiful to the eye than most research that you read, which is heavy text and what basically black and white. So that kind of both approach was really interesting and, and we really, really appreciated it. I think the other bit is also for you to speak to, as Vanessa said, for you to speak to policy and investors, for most of them is what can't be measured, can't be appreciated, you know? So how do we also add more data to it that in a, in a sense that you can speak to the magnitude of what this sector can create from employment to speaking about public interest issues to revenues, you know, to the reach that media needs to have through podcasting. So I think, again, it's a match made in heaven where we have the beauty of Africa Podfest and the thoroughness that they do have and the community angle that they do have. But we also have within the team, as Mela said, the knowledge of the rigor and the intensity that research should have uh, to be appreciated as, at, at least in a scholarly manner. Yeah, because we designed it. The point of this research actually was that it's meant to serve podcasters, policymakers, investors, and you know, academia, people who also have never heard of podcasting, but for whom this, you know, the language of data would would really make a strong case. So we were intentional about making sure that we created something that could speak those different audience groups, as well as also commercial stakeholders, you know, like brands who are thinking maybe have considered or have been approached by podcasters, but perhaps said no, or they had good experiences or maybe not so good experiences. We, you know, we set this up so that it would be able to inform them to make future decisions in confidence because now they have this information. You know, it's, it's information. <laughs> it's not just like anecdotes, it's information. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the other thing that we don't speak about a lot is uh, the credibility that the two organizations ask. Because some people usually ask about the credibility of the research, depending on the researcher, right? But if you look at both Africa Podfest and Baraza, they are more community-led, they are more open, and we are not a media house based in Kenya who says we are doing research on podcasting because, again, you might question the legitimacy, you know? Um, so that's also a very strong point that I see led to even actually the overwhelming response from the community. Mm, certainly. And as you both mentioned, I think what is so instrumental about this is that it does speak to the entire ecosystem, both from podcasters to, as mentioned, policymakers, corporate, this kind of research and information, I don't think people fully understand the impact that it could have across the system. The justification for certain behaviors can come from some of the answers that you've given us as well. And that is that is massive. I want to kind of, you know, start by looking at the framework of this. You guys obviously decided to focus on Kenya, South Africa, and Nigeria. Why was it important for you guys to, of all the podcasting countries, of everything that's happening on the continent, 
why didn't you go continental wide <laughs> and say, everybody, let's go on this? Why was it important for you guys to say, actually, let us focus on three countries? And those three countries are going to be Kenya, South Africa, and Nigeria. So based off the first Africa Podcast research launch that we had in December, we identified that Kenya, Nigeria, and South Africa are the three countries that have the highest number of listeners when it comes to podcasting. And not just listeners, but uh, producers of podcasting content as well. So it would be nice to go content-wide and, of course, be very inclusive. But I think it's important to start with where we can see the numbers first, instead of really digging through the dark to find as smaller numbers as we could. So it was informed by the first phase of this research project. Mm, thank you for that. Melissa, from your perspective. Yes, definitely. Actually, building on uh, Vanessa's response, we... We also needed to, again, because we wanted to to tell a story using data. So, and our research method was mixed. We were looking at a literature a review and wanted to examine. So what, what already exists out there about the podcasting space in Africa, we wanted to do in-depth interviews as well, podcast producers and industry players and do the audience survey. So we picked these three countries had enough data from these three sources for us to be able to like, prepare a very solid, you know, data-rich report to start with. Because again, remember, um, for us being the first, we really wanted it to be a solid first step, you know. So so these three countries offered that depth as well of data. I think partly also there's a, a time and a cost influence. So considering that, I think this was done in like a very short time. And for us, it's also because the people as the partners, we are mostly based out of Nairobi and we are having an election in uh, 96 days. So that also could muffle uh, the importance of the, of the, yeah, I'm, full, I, I'm very keen on these elections. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that also could have muffled, uh, like our work would have not gotten the audience that it deserves. Uh, and also us, we will have not been in a headspace that we, we want again also because of resources doing our africa-wide uh, research meant that we have to have partners across most of the countries if not all who would have had either more time which to be honest was a bit difficult for us but i think that's the next phase the next phase for us is to figure out what are those pockets of podcasting that we've not looked at we're already in discussions on how do we convert the one that we have into multiple languages you know french speaking countries portuguese speaking countries how do we convert it in a way that can be consumed in a continental point of view but also look at the gaps that we've left so it's not all conclusive also for us it's a work in progress as melissa also said we aim to do more of this. So this is the first one. That is absolutely, absolutely good to hear. I cannot wait for the the future iterations of it. (laughs) I do want to ask, so in terms of the numbers of people who actually ended up taking the survey, there were 370 people who actually ended up taking the survey. Although that may seem like uh, relative to whoever you ask, some people may be like, oh, well, we're getting 370 people onto a survey is incredible. <laughs> like, because how, where, where are you going to find people who want to take a survey <laughs> on podcasting? <laughs> on the other hand, people yeah. might look at it and be like, actually, that's a very small pool sample number, sample size. What are your thoughts on the amount of people who actually ended up taking the survey anyway? And does it actually really have any impact on the results as well? It does definitely matter statistically for it to hold up against credible research standards. So we did arrive at the sample, a target sample size using, you know, statistical methods of about 400 and. 
20 or so across the three countries. And this factored in estimations on the you know total podcast audience in the three countries. It factored in the populations of each country. It factored in uh, internet penetration rates and so on. The eventual number that we ended up with, the number of respondents, is at about 84% of our target, which still does fit within what is acceptable within the standard, statistically speaking, the global standard. So it is very important. And yes, of course, when you think of the three countries, the spread of podcasting, they're not 300. They're a lot more than that. They're in the thousands. But I think with every piece of research, there is, you know, when you think of sampling, what you want to get is representation. We are very happy that we're able to accomplish that. And it is actually quite, you know, huge effort to get respondents, especially within the time frame that we had and within the resource limitations you know, kind of not being on the ground to be able to physically go and ask people, hey, stand here and fill in this survey. Um, <laughs> we'd love in future to be able to get a lot more feedback and from a broader spectrum, you know, outside of the spaces we are familiar with. If we could like go out further outside our usual suspect kind of zones <laughs> and can spend a lot of time actually talking about like who's actually at the margins margins and how do they listen to podcasts because they do but reaching them is you know a question now again of resource time effort allocation and then my next question comes to the actual findings and results Vanessa was there anything that stood out for you that was very interesting that you didn't imagine that you would see or something that you saw that you were like, hmm, that actually does make sense? I think I would start with the age groups. My assumption or what I thought has always been that mini podcasting is an over 30s or maybe over 40s kind of thing, where it's like elder people who want to listen to a certain topic or just they have a niche product where they prefer to approach through podcasting. But to hear that 18 to around, I think, 35, that's the majority of persons listening to podcasting, makes a lot of sense because that also informed the fact that majority of the population in Africa is either millennials or Gen Z. So it means that even though this is new, we will have it for quite a while because it means that younger people are also very willing to take up new types of technology or new audio mediums at this point besides just music and everything else. And why this is important is also because a lot of what we consume on the media informs our opinions about everything, our cultures as well our politics, now we even have podcasts tell us just how much a senator or, a, or anybody running for office in this country actually has to spend just to get in office. So just the kind of transparency and the diverse information that we are exposed to, especially as a young age group at this point, means that it's going to have a huge cultural impact just uh, in a couple of years. So just the dependence on TV and radio is not something that we can expect from this crowd that's coming up. So that's really impressive. It's just to know that if we did much more with podcasting and made it more accessible and just amplified more platforms, we would be in the, on the right path. Mm, certainly. It's quite interesting that you mentioned the age group because there is also a somewhat direct correlation between podcast listenership and where smartphones are and, and smartphone penetration in certain countries. So what's quite interesting, and then even among the young people who are very digitally social media savvy. So if they're using, you know, technology and devices and applications to 
in you live in essence. I wonder if it is because the older generation are used to consuming media differently, whether it's newspaper or you know radio or uh, or TV. Whereas for a lot of young people, the news they get, the shows they watch, everything is on their device, and therefore the podcasts they would listen to or conversations would also maybe automatically be on those as well which is quite interesting. And Morris, for you, anything that stood out that was very interesting or insightful that made you sit up and go, that's really fascinating. I think there was something that uh, I saw within the research that actually affirmed some of my initial knowledge. And that's what I can think of right now. So if you look at the devices that people are using to consume uh, podcasting in various countries, it was so bizarre for me, or actually not bizarre, but it was confirming that, for example, in Nigeria, they use a lot of, I think, the laptop and not mobile phones, while in Kenya and South Africa, they're using mobile phones to consume that. And for me, that could maybe tie in from an infrastructure point of view where it's power or data is expensive. And that's why people resort to like using a laptop where there is free internet to listen to podcasts. So yes, those some of those things where you have to also look at the infrastructure or some of the things that we know about these particular countries and tied to how people have answered the questions. Sorry, and I was saying, and also that also informs, like, if you want internet to be, uh, not internet, but podcasting to be pervasive, then what what kind of infrastructural adjustments do countries have to make so that everybody can consume it? So should we have more cheaper bundles or maybe partnership with corporates to reduce their consumption on data, especially for podcasting. So you could have those kind of very interesting conversations with the different stakeholders to just make podcasting more consumed. I couldn't agree with you more. And I know, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, when is podcasting going to become, when is it going to have that point of inflection where it's kind of just like, oh my gosh, everyone is listening to it. And I think it does come to almost a marrying of that you know, place where people do have uh, cheaper data bundles and cheaper data. We're seeing that uh, with certain uh, networks that have provided, you know, free access to whatever platform because of their partnerships. And I do think that is going to be a big game changer for us as well. Melissa, coming to you, what was surprising to you from the findings of the report? Yeah, what the big, the highlight for me of surprise was how in Nigeria, the popularity of local podcasts is neck on neck with popularity of global podcasts, of international podcasts, which means, I mean, and it was vastly different from Kenya and South Africa, where audiences are much more aware of international podcasts than they are of local ones. But that speaks to the popularity of local podcasts in Nigeria and also the work that podcasters there have done to promote and build audiences. It's just, I think that we have a lot to learn from the Nigeria space that you know can potentially like benefit all the other podcasting hubs in Africa in terms of growing the awareness of local podcasts. Mm, there certainly is a lot to acknowledge and, and to learn from different markets and spaces as well. Uh, just on that, it was also the thing that surprised me the most that actual besides international podcasts that you know a person's podcast produced in their own country did better than other countries. And that that was so high. So even localization and thinking about, you know, really bringing home that sentiment or saying, you know, think global, act local, I think is really, really profound and necessary. I have one more question on the stats, which was just around the platforms that, you know, the people who were surveyed made use of. 
Were there any surprises there? Because we had Spotify, you know, leading in the most platform that people utilized the most. And, and then, you know, a couple coming after. And then also very interestingly, which was the amazing AfriPods podcast listening platform that you guys have also included, which was amazing to see an African listening platform on the research included as well. But were there any interesting or surprises on the platforms, on the listener side of the platforms? The the biggest surprise there was how much movement there's been <laughs> in that since our last, our 2020 survey had very different results, almost upside down, you know, and then also AfriPods has grown quite a, a lot, which tells us, and, you know, also because Spotify only became available outside of South Africa last year, right? And so it's just surprising how quickly the audience is picking up on new, you know, whatever is new and works for them. So YouTube is, at least in the African context, is a podcast distribution platform because that's where a lot of the audience already is. And so if you want to grow your audience and the word podcast is very unfamiliar. The easiest way is to help them discover it through YouTube and kind of let that be the starting point. So that wasn't surprising. We do expect, though, just because of how much shifting there's been since our last survey, that the more new apps or new distribution platforms, especially coming from African markets, enter the game, then you know we expect that particular chart to just be really dynamic. I know it's hard to say and predict, and this is a question for all three of you, with more platforms coming into the market, more being released, I mean, we're, I mean never mind just publishers, platforms in themselves, do you think people would be skewed to stick to the international popular famous ones? Or do you think that there is a lot of appetite for Africans by Africans kind of platforms? I think it depends on the product. You know, we also saw the location of audiences is a growing number of uh, listeners who are outside the big cities, you know, the capital cities or the, the usual Johannesburg, Cape Town, Lagos, Nairobi. We saw a lot more growth outside of these cities. And so it depends, I think, on whatever the new innovations that, you know, homegrown or otherwise. If somebody builds an app that's focused on the Swahili audience and on the ways that Swahili speakers are listening, then they'll move there, you know? So I think the, the status quo now, which is it's mostly in the big cities and we mostly know about the big international apps. I think that's going to be challenged a lot. You know, what do you think when I say more? On my side, I think comparing the apps that are being used to the data that we also got from the monetization of podcasters and how they make money, I do think the, the game changer for these apps is the person who will cater to the creators more. Because if most of these creators of, of podcasts are, first of all, cross-platform sharing. Because when you check like how are you promoting your podcast, people say they're using social media and they're using mostly social media and their friends uh, to be able to share it. There's more sort of like social effect there of people being recommended to this podcast. I'm just assuming that based on the data, the podcasters will be pushing people to the platform where they know they'll benefit, right? And the podcasts themselves are more influential or influencers within their community. I think whoever will win this game, it's not about international or local at the end of the day, it's the person who's paying for that value for me as a creator. I think that was what the data was just showing. If you look at the broadness of how the podcasters are monetizing, there are very few line items on how they are monetizing. And if the platforms could assist on that, then that becomes the winner. I think maybe I would add on the beat of the product and also now the monetizing and just how people pay for the content. 
one thing we noticed also with Spotify coming into the market is that they made it very easy for people to pay for the product and to also access the product. So you don't really have to pay the annual subscription. You can actually have like pay your subscription on a weekly basis at a very affordable amount. So that means that it's making it more accessible to people who do not want to be consistent on the platform or do not want to commit entirely. So I don't think it's about um, international product or a local product. It's just can you integrate the content into platforms that the consumers are actually using, like Repesa or Airtel Money or whatever it is that they use. You don't have to make the process look complicated. So I think as long as you make it that easy, that accessible, you're on the right path. It's so interesting and so lovely to speak to people who are entrenched in the research. Morris was like, the data shows, the numbers show. Meanwhile, me as a normal podcaster, I'm like, well, I think... And my emotions are telling me that you're very much what the data says. Do you know what I mean? And Vanessa, very interesting on what you mentioned around Mpesa. I actually saw a Twitter post about how being able to access, they specifically had mentioned Spotify because of Mpesa, that, you know, you're catering to, to our needs and how we can access funds. Forgetting that, like, financial systems in different countries are very different. What is the quickest, easiest way of making these online payments? Because there is something that, that's exchange that's happening. Could not agree with three of you anymore. It's, it's how easy is it for the creator? Because that means my content is going to come to you because you've made it appealing to me. And then also on the other side for the listener, how easy is it to, to actually use your platform? Are you even catering to my market or as African podcasters consistently see international, international, international? <laughs> and it's how much are you actually making an effort to put more localized content? And then maybe looking at other, you know, African countries, but that localization, I didn't actually understand how important that was. So thank you guys for your insights and, and your findings. I feel like you guys did this research for me. I, I feel like you said, <laughs> we know you need this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did. You are a podcast producer. So <laughs> I think coming coming back to the numbers and, and I, especially whenever I see this research or understanding research is I don't think people understand how impactful this is for them. And so how does research like this in the African podcasting ecosystem and space contribute to the success of the journey of, I guess, everyone in the scene, but particularly podcasters themselves? How does this research contribute to their success? One, um, it validates what podcasters are doing to the other players in the ecosystem. You know, as Vanessa very well put it, that to somebody who hasn't been paying attention, but they're in a decision-making position that could change the game when they understand the language of the numbers and, and put investors, policymakers, business kind of stakeholders, then this is very validating to what podcasters have been doing and saying for a while. Secondly, it also is in terms of how does it shape the journey, it is an opportunity to gather more people around the table to have deeper conversations that could lead hopefully to you know, tangible growth in investments into the podcasting scene as we go along. Certainly. And Vanessa, for you, any insights? Do you want to add anything to what Melissa said? I think for the podcasters, most importantly, is also the learning process. Because one thing I have heard and also just seen is that podcasters feel very alone because it's a very produced in your little bedroom and then send it out in your house and then you're still chilling in the house. But like for other podcasters, you're able to learn where it's like if you go on YouTube, for example, where you have a podcast, it means 
just by the video version of your podcasting existing, it gives you a, a bit of more proximity to your listeners or something like that. Whether you've been using your podcast or you've been sharing and marketing your podcast using one platform, it means you can also now count on cross-platform promotion or something like that. So besides just even for the policymakers, it's also for the podcasters to come on here and see just what their peers are doing and see how that works also for their own environment and just how they can optimize their own content as well. And Morris, from the publishers and platforms perspective, how does this research contribute to either their success or what they're doing or planning on doing? I, I think from here, I look at them as... Uh, businesses who depend on numbers and numbers in terms of like the more people are on their platforms as content creators the better for them because then the more listenership that they have in terms of uh, times of listen and from a commercial point of view then they can curate or support some type of content that they see that the community wants especially from the research so they look at the research they look at the the age group the time the kind of research that people want to listen to more uh, the gender. And based on that data, they could say, hey, you know what, actually, let's support Rutendo because I guess she ticks all these boxes. And with a little bit of support from us, she might be able to bring in more listeners who, again, for them, it's eyeballs, it's more ears. So people listen and then give them advertising money. But also, it also gives them space for innovation within that space. Podcasting is still very nascent on the continent. And that means that they still have opportunity to shape how this conversation can go in the near term future. So it's just to look at if content creators want more money on their hands to be able to produce content and to share it widely, how do we make that possible? So from what Vanessa was talking about, can you integrate it with the local payment platforms? Can you maybe add things like tip jars? Can you commission? Like, yes, there's Joe Rogan who has this numbers on Spotify, how do you create more Rutendos and Melissa Bungas on the continent to have more numbers on the continent, right? So I think it informs their investments, it informs their innovation. Yeah, it informs their marketing. For example, I would assume that Spotify is now popular because of the marketing budget they have really put behind Spotify in the recent past, you know. They have come in supporting podcasters, supporting musicians. And in Nairobi, at some point, you'd walk and almost all billboards are Spotify, you know. And that maybe has, has changed how people consume and what platforms we are using. So I think it's really critical information for them to make a data-driven decision. And I don't doubt that anyone who does end up listening to this conversation is I'm going to listen to it again with a notebook and pen going, oh, okay, noted, noted, noted. Second last question is, will this be an annual report? Is this something that we can anticipate on an annual basis? Because I know already I'm looking forward to the next report. What can people look forward to up next regarding this report and the next couple of iterations of it? We are still planning to continue with our research. So yes, more in the pipeline for next year. Keep posted to hear exactly what's going to come up as we evolve also on the basis of, you know, that's the other part about this research project is that the same way you're learning from it as you go through it, we're also learning from it as well. So our thinking is also evolving quite a lot the more we digest and, and look into this report. Any final thoughts or final comments from any of you? I will spotlight Vanessa first. Any final thoughts or comments? I am mostly looking forward to seeing just how this evolves because we, we don't want to stop here and most importantly to see just how else the content creators can make money besides directly from their platforms. 
whether it's brand partnerships, whatever it is that they do, and how also these brands themselves come through on the back end and explain to us whether they've experienced discoverability or how the purchasing has gone and how they're going towards creating audio-relatable content for this podcast. I know many of us who listen to podcasts have had so many better health ads, and I just hope that maybe soon enough we can have that for more of also our other uh, local brands because it's still part of the industry that we're in in the media ecosystem. So just all these partnerships that come up from podcasting is something that I'm looking forward to. Certainly, certainly. Morris, for you, what final comments? For me, uh, and I know Mel will almost preempt what I would say. For me, it's more from a policy point of view. How will this shape? Because that policy is what can impact in a very short time. So how do we engage with policymakers on this report is the next thing. So anybody from Nigeria, South Africa, who wants to utilize this uh, to be able to advise or even just share it with the policymakers within their communications authorities would be something of interest and valuable. I think also what good is a podcast or a research that is never listened to or read. For me, it's just to say, how can people share this research more and more? Can manage to quote it so that it's more consumed and more informed. It will also help us to know what to update in the future. And so I'll urge everybody to download it, read it. It's free. You're not being charged. Go through it, critique it, reach out to us for things that you think we could include. But also if you can connect us or if you can connect to your policymakers to be able to be informed from this, we'll be really grateful. Fantastic. And Melissa, final words and comments from your side. First of all, just to reiterate what Vanessa and Maurice have both said is talk about this, ask more questions, kind of think about it, digest, think about and, and talk to us about more opportunities to deepen the conversation or even to do further research into different areas. And also for people who are interested in doing research into the African podcasting space and, you know, the different aspects that have come out from this. So audience, there's the podcaster support, as is the policy making side, there's also the commercial side, so experimenting with business models. Take it and go and, and also initiate more projects. And, you know, we, we obviously support the collaboration model because it strengthens the community reach, strengthens the reach, but it also strengthens everybody who's involved um, in terms of learning as new media, as media innovation stakeholders. It just helps us learn faster and in a much more meaningful way when we collaborate rather than kind of trying to do the work on our own. So there's there's value in collaboration beyond, you know, just it sounding cute that, that you had partnerships. There's actually real value, collaborative approach. So I'd encourage anyone else who's looking at entering the podcast space in Africa, also global players who are looking at coming into Africa, get in touch. Also, you know, kind of the reason we put this out there and made it open access is so that people could take it and run with it. So learn from it and use it for your own initiatives as well. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning indeed. When people ask, what are you reading lately? I'm like, the report, of course. <laughs> my bedtime reading. I've read it holistically end to end twice. And I've gone back to almost just ask the questions that you guys have answered for me today. It's like, but why this? And what does this mean? But I'm looking forward to the future iterations. And thank you all so much. How can people contact you? Please share any uh, details, 
whether it's email addresses, Twitter handles, Instagram handles, how can they reach you? For Africa Podfest, um, on all the social platforms, it's at Africa Podfest. On the website, www.podcasting.africa, you can find the report itself and also email contact information for more direct um, communication. Fantastic. Vanessa and Morris. I think on Twitter and on Instagram, we are at Barazalab. On our website, we are barazalab.com. Um, yes, it's barazalab.com on the website and barazalab on social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that's a wrap on today's show. While you're here, definitely check out the latest issue of the Podcast Sessions Digital Magazine, Africa's first and only podcast magazine at www. Dot thepodsessions.com The Podcast Sessions is a production of Teensway Media.